0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive Imperial Assault. I'm your host, Isaac, and in this episode, we're we'll doing something a little bit different. So I'm recording this after recording all the other parts of the episode, so I just want to clarify exactly what's happening. So first and foremost, this is a matchup analysis segment. So my good friend Derek will be coming on to talk about the Repulse tank and how he fed with it in a tournament, which was a couple of weeks ago. Then, at the end of the episode, David and Jess will be coming on because they couldn't be here for the first part, but they will be coming on and we will be doing a Season 4 preview for a brand new card coming out in IACP Season 4, which is not available in a preview article on the IACP website. I believe it, it will still be in the preview gallery, but if you want to hear our thoughts about it, all well, that will be on here. So stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll see you in a little bit. In our previous episode, we brought on Kyle, who was nice enough to talk all about Boba Fett and the flying monstrosity that he is. But speaking of vehicles, and seeing as how that episode did seem to do pretty well, we thought, let's bring on yet another vehicle and see just how it does. Because what's one thing that ICP has done is that it's given us a whole new meta in regards to vehicles. Boba is a very, very viable vehicle, especially running with the jets. We found that general advice is not bad at all. We found that ATSDs are viable. Are they top tier? Maybe not. I'm sure some players could make them, take them to the top. And one of those players is with us right here today. Unfortunately, David and Jess can't join us today, but Jess was kind enough to record a news section, which will be coming up right here.
1: Hi everyone, Jess here with some news for you. First off, congratulations to Isaac, winner of our Porg Cup. So really well played there. Isaac, can you tell us about what was your list that you won with?
0: So I was running the Junk Guard list. To anyone who isn't familiar, it's been a hotly debated list. But essentially, we got the ICP Royal Guard Champion, Elite Royal Guards, the Emperor, three sets of regular officers, temporary lines to include a Ugnaut into the list, a regular Ugnaut, in addition to extra armor, rule by fear, and Zillow Technique. And essentially the idea of the list is to use the Argonaut to spawn a junk droid. The junk droid then moves so it's next to the Royal Guards and within three of the Royal Guard Champion. And then the Emperor uses his Tempt ability to deal a damage to the Junk killing it. And when that figure dies, and this is a little bit of a janky combo, but I really like it. Uh, when that figure dies, both Royal Guards then become focused because they're adjacent to it. And the Royal Guard Champion gets to his Executor ability, which is move two spaces and form an attack. And that was the idea. And it went very, very well. All the games were great. And I really enjoyed it.
1: If anyone out there was sad they missed the poor cup, Never fear, you still have one more opportunity if you want to participate in a Season 3 official event. We have the Beskar Cup coming up this Saturday, if you're listening to this when it drops. So this Saturday, the 25th of July, you still can enter in and be in that one, uh, Isaac. You have released the information about the prizes for this event. Can you tell us more?
0: Absolutely. So in the previous event, uh, the participation prize was a general advice card, and then some top four prizes and a winners' prize. In the next tournament, the Beskar Cup, which is coming up in just a couple of days now at the point of the recording, we are using the same top four and winner's prizes, which is, for top four, you get essentially a deployment mat. So it's uh, this kind of mouse pad material where there's a little border where you can place a card, and then three metallic coloured bars with different number of dots on them representing different figures in a group and essentially you can use it to track any damage or conditions or anything like that associated with figures in your group. And featured on that mat is IACP Season 3 VST Season 3 Top 4. Also the General Vice Art, which was commissioned just for these tournaments. The winner's prize is a medal featuring once again the General Vice Art and the participation prize for this tournament is different from the previous one and it is a Biv Bodrick alternate. Art card, which has a nice little commissioned artwork of Biv charging towards a Stormtrooper inside an Imperial base. So, if you play in the tournament, you'll get the Biv card automatically. It'll be shipped directly to your address at no extra cost. And if you make the top four, you'll get the top four prize, and if you win, you'll get the medal.
1: But Isaac, where's my Beskar?
0: Hmm. Fortunately, we, we did a lot of digging, but we were unable to acquire any Beskar for the tournament itself. But, unfortunately, it just doesn't exist. I know, we've really been so Searching as hard as we can but uh, you know it went about as well as our search to find an actual dark saber
1: maybe next time all right in other news I'm sure you could not have possibly missed it, but there have been a lot of season four previews that have been happening. So, catch all of those on the IACP website. They have now a season four preview gallery, so you can find all of them in one place. You don't have to look through all the different articles if you want to just look through all of the cards. But also, there are some really great, well written articles if you want a little bit of a deeper dive into what those cards are about, I will link it in the show notes. If
0: anyone has any opinions about any of the cards that we release, we are always eager to to hear it, whether it's, I love this card or, why did you make this card? It sucks. <laughs> Regardless what you think, we, we want to hear it because ultimately this is a community project and if the community doesn't like like something, then we we're not gonna do it. But uh, the cards we've released so far we're pretty confident with. We've done more playtesting for this season than any than all the other seasons combined. And we did playtest those one those as well. But we've put so much work into these ones to try and really reduce the amount that we've needed to adjust after original release. So I think there are gonna be very, very minor changes throughout the next playtest period. I, I think things are gonna go very, very well from here on out. Great.
1: And lastly, we have some updates to some of the stuff that Trevice has been working on. So he has updated his IA builder, so now it's on version 1.0.25, and he has added in some of the spoiler stuff for season 4, and also there is now the ability to filter deployment cards by trait, very handy, and be able to filter command cards by restriction. So some new features there, and he's also updated his tabletop simulator mod and again I will have all the links in the show notes okay so that's it for news from me so enjoy this episode sadly you will not be hearing me I will catch you at the end when we talk about a new card
0: thank you very much Jess alright well I think we will just jump straight into the episode now then and as I said David and Jess couldn't join us today but I am blessed to have on one of my great mates with me today. This is none other than Derek. Hello. Hello, hello, Derek. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So Derek did appear on the podcast a couple of months ago, I believe. I wasn't able to make that episode, which I was really disappointed about, because Derek and I have we've known each other for a good couple of years and definitely become good friends as the years have gone by.
2: Yeah
0: and we are both members of the icp steering committee as well and we have been doing quite a lot of work in there as well and you know without giving too much away i think we can both say pretty certainly that season four is going to be big yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah we have been what work- we've been working so hard on all the new cards and yeah i, I mean we've already sport enough on on this um, on this podcast In our previous episode with Noah and Jake, we did spoil the General Sorin figure. So if you haven't heard that yet, be sure to go back and listen to that, where where they reveal the new card. But uh, jumping into this episode, um, for matchup analysis, we always like to look at figures which people don't usually see played, but we've seen them go to the top of the range of the meta. So that's why, for example, we've had more episodes surrounding figures like Boba Fett, rather than the Jedi, because the Jedi are very common in the matter. I think, and you might agree with me here, Derek, that if you go to any sort of ICP event, odds are the list, which has the most number of players of it, is some sort of Jedi list. I think it's pretty fast. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to do with this episode is we're going to look at the SC2M Repulsor tank from the Return to Hoth box, which Derek piloted all the way to the top four in a recent, well, I guess at the time of this podcast gets released, it's not that recent, but at a previous ISCP regional. Uh, but before we jump right into that, Derek, uh, for anyone who is new to the podcast and hasn't heard of you, do you want to offer a little reintroduction of yourself?
3: Sure, yeah. I've been playing since uh, Tyrants of Lothal came out. That's At least that's when I got into it, uh, playing sort of competitively with anybody. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I had bought the game as a board game, uh, I kind of thought of it that way, but then I started... Looking around my community for something to do, more people to connect with, and found uh, a local store that had events running
0: oh awesome so yeah, so I suppose a, a follow-up to that question then would be uh, what's your first tournament at that local area and how did you what did you run?
3: yeah um so the first so I don't know if you call it a tournament or not that's that feels generous there's like there were five of us, right. Um, and we would meet monthly to play. I ran... What did I run when I started? I, I was playing Vader when I started. And uh, I had double Elite Stormtroopers because I had the core set. So... Um, oh, my. <laughs> that, was that. that was... I quickly realized that Elite Stormtroopers, especially at nine points, really suck at shooting at Han, Side <laughs> Sad Bricchio, from range five. Oh. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I tried Vader out for a little while and realized melee figures wasn't my strong suit. Um I always just brush them in and then they die too soon. So I started experimenting with other stuff. That that was that was definitely still fun.
2: That's
0: great. Well, I suppose just the next question then is, so we kind of know your background a little bit, and then as you've been growing in your skill set, I believe that you won a regional championships in Canada in 2019, is that correct?
3: Yep. Yeah, so that was that uh, that first year I started playing in like September, October, something like that, and then uh, finally figured out a little bit what I was doing by the time the regional season came around in January uh, and ran an IG list for that.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah, and then just from there, you were very, very active online, especially in the Slack, getting games, and very often you had always had such interesting thoughts about the ICP, both positive and negative, that we did then bring you onto the steering committee a couple of months later.
3: Yeah, no, that was exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's been great having you because we, I mean, I've said this many times now, we have a great team working on it now. We've yeah. got a big team, all, all of them with vastly different opinions on everything, which is amazing <laughs> because. It, because every single card we design has people who i mean every single card we design has people who say oh well i love the idea because of this and then and then you'll have the same amount of people saying no but this is horrible look at just this combo and, da, 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 da. and it, it's amazing because we all have different play styles and we play in different ways that we that we essentially find a lot of the easy to break combos before we release them so i think season four i've said this repeatedly but honestly i cannot explain to you guys how excited i am to season four it is going to change the game not in a drastic way as in you know we're creating a new game it's just and we're not creating a ridiculous amount of new new cards but it is going to change the game the way we play imperial assault i think for the better because some of the characters and stuff that are coming out are very very fun so without any further ado uh what got you into tank lists because i'm guessing the tank is very different to ig so what made the tank appeal to you?
3: So actually, it's really funny because I don't see the tank as being very different from IG. Um, I actually think they play very similarly, but that's not necessarily the case. But uh, mm-hmm. I I got into the tank playing it because I didn't think of it as similar to IG when I first started. That was not my my thought process. My thought process was... Nobody's playing this card. It's been adjusted by the steering committee. I want to get some data on how it does. That that, yeah. was, that was basically why I picked it up. I was like, let's try to run a list. Uh, we'll go into the list building on that in a little bit. But uh, I that was my my thought was let's run something. Let's let's see how it does. And then it actually did really well. I was winning like all the games I played with it. Um, Which I mean doesn't necessarily mean all that much because it depends on who you're playing and what they're playing and everybody was testing stuff out so you you knew you weren't hitting like top tier medalists at that time. But so I I thought well let's see how it does in a more slightly more competitive environment and that's why I brought it to the tournament. Amazing. So
0: yeah, I mean, before we get into the list building and everything, do you want to read off the tank's stats for us, just so we all know what it is we are looking at and what we're talking about? And also then we can just compare the i e c p version with the FFG version.
3: Yeah, for sure. So uh, which one do you want me to start with? Um, we, we might as well
0: just read off the IECP one and then just uh, state what has been changed from the original version.
3: Sure. So its uh, cost is nine points. It's massive uh with the vehicle trait uh it has a innate plus two accuracy and then a surge for plus two damage and a surge for blast one damage um, it's got 12 health four speed its attack pool is blue red yellow and its defense pool is a black die. it also has an ability that's called defensible which says, while defending, you may apply either plus one block or plus one evade to your defense results, which is definitely one of the coolest features of this, I think. Oh, for sure. Um, And then it also has uh, a special action that takes uh, two actions, and it says, perform two attacks targeting the same figure. So that's that's what the tank is like. Difference between the tank and the original ffg version we dropped the cost from 10 down to 9 and we increased the health from 10 up to 12 exactly so very minor changes yeah just basically the cost health ratio was adjusted which is kind of what a lot of the earlier figures need just to be playable i feel like
0: yeah yeah exactly so i mean kind of a good rule of thumb which uh, which i felt um, especially when I started playing the game, is that if if you are paying a, X amount of points for a figure with X plus 2 health, then that's usually a pretty good trade-off. So a good example there is Han for 10 points with his 12 health. Great. I don't think Han would be worth 10 points if he had 10 health. Even, you know, Han is a very, very strong figure in the game, obviously, right. with his uh, modifier. But Han for 10 health would be even easier to kill because 10 health is very one-shotable health white die <laughs> you know that, that that's uh that's vader's dream you know that's one good attack in the force stroke and hans dead whereas now you probably require two attacks in to kill Han and vader um so yeah very interesting the tank is a figure which i have honestly never given much thought to outside of a campaign and when we designed this change uh, for season three i didn't think it was enough so i was a pretty big advocate for changing more about it because i was like okay well it's just it's a one difference in in cost with a plus two health. It's still more, it's cheaper, but it's also got a lot less health than the ATSD. But um, before we jump into list building, why does the tank appeal to you more than for the same points you could get the ATSD? So, why would you grab a tank and an officer or a tank and
3: two upgrades rather than an ATSD? Hmm. So, there's a couple things. I'm not a huge fan of the ATSD, honestly. Mm hmm. Because I hate the awkward ability of not being able to attack adjacent figures that yeah. that's probably the big piece. I find that very i find it awkward <laughs> um, the other The other thing that the tank has that I realize that most of the other massive vehicles don't have is a surge for plus two damage. yes. Um, so like the ATDP at 9 points is probably actually the closer comparison in some ways than the ATSDV. Um that's a good point, yeah. So like they they cost the same now. Um although if you're not running uh uh imperial retrofitting with uh with your tank then you're not doing it right. I don't is is my personal opinion, but so that that basically becomes a 10 point figure. The, the ATDP has some valuable pieces, like the health is higher, and uh, it has a re-roll built into it, and a kind of a thing. Although I find that the, the two pieces of the ATDP are less, less enjoyable for me. One is Speed 3, and the fact that we adjusted it so that it couldn't use Imperial retrofitting, which uh, I think was the right call, because I've seen people pilot the ATDP very well. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, I prefer a little more movement, which is uh, where I think the Imperial retrofitting makes the tank really fun, because you can move eight and attack, or move four and attack twice, uh, and that's that's the other piece that uh, I don't believe any of the other, none of the other vehicles can move four spaces and attack twice. Correct.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that was the exact reason why we excluded the A T D P from retrofitting, was because of its flexibility of being able to move three and then have assault. Yeah. And the reason we didn't think that was a problem with the tank is because Focus Fire, which is the double action to perform two attacks against the same figure, that is a lot less powerful than assault. And we thought that, okay, so because it is so much less powerful than assault, let's see if the tank is broken with retrofitting, which I think we'll both agree It's, it's not. No, I don't think so. It's definitely beatable, let's put it that way. Well, let's jump then into the list building. So what list did you run using the tank for the tournament?
3: Yeah. Uh, So I ran, for the tournament, I ran the tank. I ran the IACP Sentry Droids, costed at nine. Two units of elite jet troopers. Two Imperial Officers. So that's six activations. Then the uh, ubiquitous Zillow Technique and Rule by Fear. Imperial retrofitting to give the tank the extra movement, and then since I was running so many droids and vehicles, I thought I would try out Scavenge weaponry as an attachment. Interesting. So,
0: so what was your thoughts on scavenge weaponry? I know you and I had a pretty long discussion after the tournament about this card. Yeah. But, uh, what, what 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 was your original thought with the card, and what is
3: your opinion of it after? Mm. So my my thought is, is that it's it's not bad. My my initial thought going into it was. Kind of like the idea of giving just a bit of extra damage. I also really like Scavenge weaponry with Sentry Droids. Um, yeah, it it kind of boosts their uh, multi-fire option a little bit. So my and my thought was what was going to happen is that the tank is going to die probably the beginning of round two. So I'll use Scavenge weaponry for the first couple of uh, focused fires on the tank get a few extra damage out of it, and then pass it on to the sentries, or if they're dead, onto the jet troopers or something like that uh, to just kind of up my damage output throughout the whole game. Hmm. Um, What ended up happening a lot is that it was okay. It got me some extra damage. If the tank didn't die, it wasn't actually that helpful. It got maybe three, four, uh, probably not more than three damage on out of that card because you have to exhaust it so you use it for one attack per round basically yeah it didn't uh, and then if you don't pass it around it's the concept was better than the execution this is how hmm. i felt
0: yeah that's definitely fair so what i do remember we spoke about
3: was uh, i suppose we'll get into
0: this when i then ask you how you would now in case whether you would make any changes to the list but um, what are your thoughts on targeting computer because at least with the way I see it I think we spoke about this but the tank is I'd say really really good for nine points plus one for retrofitting but you're only giving away nine whereas if you compare scavenge weaponry to target computer the very big difference is just like you said scavenge weaponry requires you to exhaust the card on declare for you to be able to use the ability. Yeah. Whereas targeting computer, you don't need to exhaust it, it's just, you get a reroll for every single attack. So do you think that that might be a better option for the tank? Because then you would have on both your focus fire attacks, and let, let's just say, it, it is very possible to roll the single red on the, uh, the, the single one on, one damage on the red die.
3: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I actually played my, uh, my first game of the Dagobah Trials today, um, and I ran ran this same list, but I swapped targeting computer in for scavenge weaponry uh, to try it out. And I, I thought it was very helpful. I definitely rerolled a single red die into a triple red. so that was that was awesome. I, I definitely I think I used it on probably 80% of my attacks. Um, oh wow. So that was that was definitely a big deal. It was definitely worth worth the point. I think the other card that I would debate, honestly the only thing that I would change about this list, if we want to kind of just jump into that point, is is that one point of uh, what that last sort of upgrade is, um, whether it's an attachment for the tank or for something else. Uh, I don't think any of the other units really need another attachment to make them better than they are. Well, I suppose technically I've been running advanced comm systems on one of the officers. But uh, I don't really think about that very much. The other option I think that would be possible would be maybe running Doubt or extra armor. Those uh, Those would also have a pretty positive benefit. Two blocks on the tank to start would make it tanky, pardon the pun. (laughs) <laughs> or and you know give some to jet troopers or something um or yeah getting rid of some focus um might be helpful as well and then uh maybe tough lucking uh someone's die to get rid of some damage or make them miss range or something like that um but uh Absolutely. Those, are, those are all options but i think uh those are all really going to depend on what you are facing what, yeah what you think you're gonna be facing because uh, i wouldn't I don't think I would bring doubt if I thought I was gonna be facing jedi yeah
0: yes and that's definitely first so that does kind of segue into the next question, which I think just fits in here perfectly, which is what what matchups do you believe are the worst for tank lists, and yeah, just depending on your fear of that matchup, what do you think would be the best use of that final point so so just. What are you most scared of with, uh,
3: with the tank? Anything where Ezra has another force user, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, The in the tournament, the lists I lost to both times were uh, essentially force user lists. I, I lost in Swiss to Tuka, and then I lost in top four to Ryan Janway, um, who both ended up going on to win the tournament. So don't feel too bad about that. Um, but they yeah. have very similar list building um, with Ezra, Kanan, Ahsoka, kind of thing, and uh, that amount of Pierce is a big deal, and so is the the ability for Ezra to set his die is like the perfect counter to defensible on the tank. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah.
3: So, so that's that's the hard part. Um, trying to build the list around something like that um the the other the other thing that i think is probably the to, that I that to pay attention to in terms of lists would be something like a double weekway list um if i leave the tank sitting somewhere for a, a weak way activation to just come up and blast it with like all the hunter cards i mean like nothing stops that right um yeah so unless they roll really badly or something um so i mean like but i i i kind of am pretty used to playing around that with any list so the the jedi are the ones that i'm trying to figure out
0: yeah yeah exactly and that obviously will be more difficult with this list considering the fact that your ig so to speak is a massive figure, which means it's a lot more difficult to hide them.
3: yeah and usually uh the Jedi that people are running is some variation on Ahsoka and Ezra, who are pretty good at hunting down just about any figure on the map, and uh, also really good at getting off a pummel, which is <laughs> really feels really bad, especially when they take initiative on you. Um, yeah. So uh, the uh, the actually the things that I do to counter that are more in my uh, command deck, I would say. Although extra armor might be a helpful card to throw in there that I've been thinking about, but I'm not, I haven't tried it out yet. So, so ideally, the cards that I want to have start of round two, uh, fuel upgrade to give the extra evade, and then armed escort. So I can play armed escort with any of my figures except the officers. So I'll just find a, a sentry or a jet that I've gone with, um, that uh, is sitting within two spaces of the tank and preferably within two spaces of other figures that can use the plus one evade that it gives out um, and I, I find it's, it's got really good synergy with this list I I had that work out perfectly today in my game actually where I played fuel upgrade start of round um, also got called a vanguard for a jet so that's nice um, but then I I got to go with my jets right away and I just made sure one of my jets ended up within two spaces of the tank and so I had two evades on it all round for all attacks going into it. And uh, I had Jedi, Jedi Luke came and did a focused attack uh, and did three damage even though the roll wasn't brutal. Like he didn't like just Triple surge or something, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So the the roll was decent, and I only rolled a single block on defense, but oh, then wow. I added added another block with defensible and had two evades from the cards, and he did three damage, and it was like that. That was like a huge deal in that game because that's that's a big attack that you're worried about, right? So. Oh, always.
0: Yeah, awesome. All right, well, now that we've discussed the the tank generally, um, let's jump straight into the gameplay section of the episode. So what we'll do is we'll go through the main tournament maps that are currently in rotation, and we'll just um, yeah, ask some questions about that. So if we start off with Coruscant Beck Alley's small map, what is
3: your aim for round one on the different missions? Sure. In some ways, I think... I think think about the the maps pretty similarly like how I'm gonna play round one round two that kind of a thing the maps don't tend to make a huge difference for the tank itself anyways how I position the rest of my list will definitely have an impact okay but uh, but my my goal with the tank is pretty much to do damage into my opponent's damage dealers right take out a figure before it gets a chance to do a lot of work preferably two if i get the opportunity the play then really depends on who gets initiative and how how aggressive i can be around the start of round end of round swing so if i don't have initiative and i'm trying to make up make a play, and this is this is honestly why it feels similar to IG because I think exactly the same way about IG with this, is if I have an initiative coming to me, especially if I have negation, I am going to be extremely aggressive, try to get uh, as close to my opponent's group of figures or to a, an exposed figure if they're nice enough to give me one of those, and just blast it. Um, preferably with four attacks and then run away again. Um, yeah which is which is actually quite possible on most of these maps. I would say back alleys is probably the one that uh, is least likely for that to happen because the deployment zones are the farthest apart, and also you're, you're I'm always moving the tank with my officers. It, yeah, it gets moved for four spaces pretty much every map, mm, yeah. um, and I use it to push, like I said, of jets up one or two spaces as well by landing on top of them that way on so on back alleys typically my goal is push it up four spaces which gets it towards the terminal and then move myself up so that if I if at all possible I can get a shot in um end of round at someone sitting by their terminal um Mm. if I have initiative coming to me um and then I will hope that I will get that initiative, unless I'm worried about like a really big swing round one, like if someone's got uh, a multiple activation unit that I'm really worried about, like some, like a double weak way, like a weak way list, right, two focused hidden weakways are gonna, if he takes are gonna do it, or if like Ezra or something can get a pummel off based on that kind of a thing, then I might might play a little more safely. But, yeah, that would be my goal. And so it, depending on if I can retreat or not, if there's a good place to retreat to, start of round two, my tank will focus fire into somebody. Um, then either just stay right there and provide a nice juicy target for them to go after while I move all my other figures into really good positions. Or, and I hope it survives as long as possible, hopefully to attack again round three, but I'm not really counting on it. Yeah. Or for some of the other maps, more so than Coruscant, I'll try to back away to a position where I feel they have to really expose themselves to get off get off their attacks on the tank, um, and then you can sort of attack those figures afterwards with uh, with your other units. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. So, how would you describe the Ideal tempo of your game being them, so mm-hmm. you so essentially from what you've said so far, you do want to try and get some really big swings off because you're able to perform two attacks in each activation. Again, similar to IG, which is an amazing point. So, how would you kind of consider your the perfect tempo for you would be? Would it be a fast-paced game or a more slow, drawn-out game where you win on in the long run?
3: So again, I guess this is where the the initiative and the type of list I'm playing against kind of makes a difference. So if I don't have initiative, especially if I'm playing against a list like Jedi or something where they want to come to me, um, I'm going to actually really hang back and play a game of attrition and try to blast them when they come in kind of a thing. I'll actually keep the tank back behind my other figures and play a pretty defensive game. If uh, if they're running, like, a, a box-type list or something like that where they're going to stay hidden and try to snipe, then I'm probably, especially if, uh, depending on the objectives, if I can force them to come to me, I would love that. Um, but that doesn't always happen. My list is okay at objectives because it's got a bunch of troopers, but it's not, like, designed for them. Although the gangster mission is amazing for, uh, for my list because... Uh, Sentries, uh multi-firing are really good at taking out two gangsters in one activation. That's a good point. The tank is, I, I would say, it's definitely the focus of the list, um, but the rest of the list is really good at cleaning up and doing all the regular things that vehicles do. So, But tempo-wise, it's usually a... Yeah, it, it depends on if the list is going to come to me, then I play a very defensive kind of thing, and hope to get off as many attacks with the tanks and stuff as possible, do as much damage as possible, otherwise it's kind of like a full-on charge where you're going right in their face, blasting them as much as possible, Um, hopefully also getting off the sort of overrun combinations and stuff like that that you get and Grenadier that you normally do with jets, Um, and then it's a question of am I using overrun with jets or with a tank? Um, that's always a question because the tanks per- can be pretty great if you are real cl- are close together for doing overrun. So,
0: yeah, for sure. And so here's actually a question about overrun that I have. So the wording of the card: Does overrun state when you enter a space containing X, or is it when you end? Yeah, I mean, surely it's that when you enter a space containing.
3: That's a great question. Um, that's how I've played it. Uh, yeah, when you enter a hostile figure space. Yeah. Mm. Because, as written then, in that case, that would make
0: it very different to Crush for the tank, because that would make it sound like you could move over a figure and then move back again, and they would take the overrun damage without you needing to end your movement. Because obviously with a massive figure, if you end your movement in a space containing another figure, you can't move for the rest of the activation again. Yeah.
3: Because it does seem like overrun is a counter to that. Well, so actually... It It's not, because you can move over top of figures with the tank and not end on them, right? Yeah. Um, so I've actually had a couple of times where I used the tank as like a, um, a spinning top almost more than anything. Because uh, I kind of had figures <laughs> on all sides of it. So I'd like rotate 90 degrees get on top of one ah. figure, um, <laughs> rotate another 90 yeah. degrees onto another two, and then move forward onto another two, and then stop there. And so that's like mm. six figures that have taken two damage, but they weren't clumped together in a in a group, necessarily. Um, and then I still can shoot twice at somebody. That's very right, cool. And the other benefit, then, against the box list, I, I love playing this against box, box lists, mostly, uh, because <laughs> What you can do is, when you do a move like that with the tank, um, you end up sitting on top of the box, and if you position it well, you can actually split the box so that uh, you know three PO is not sitting beside the figure you want to attack. Yoda is not sitting beside the figure you want to attack. Those kind of things, um, mm-hmm. and it, it it starts to break apart the defensive tricks that uh, that lists like that have.
0: That's very cool. So, do you think you would consider crush at all for your list, or do you think that's a little bit too janky?
3: Uh, I thought about it, but uh, the problem is, is that if you draw crush near the end of the game, your tank's usually gone, or like they're yeah. not sitting. There's not a good target for it, um, and it's the only uh, figure that can use it. Uh, so, the three point card that I would swap out is Grenadier. Um, which I think is really awesome anyways. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, and I have four Jets that can play it. So, And actually my Sentries yeah. can play it too. So I've got six figures that can play that. So I, in my mind, that's a better card to take for the list. If I was running a double massive figure list, I would definitely consider bringing it along. Um, but those are hard to run. They just kind of tend to get in the way of each other a lot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I did run a General Vice Two ATST list
2: uh, a while
0: ago, just to try it out. Yeah, it was really really fun. I can't say it did too well. Honestly, oh, positioning wasn't actually a, as big of a problem as I thought. They just lacked the firepower to take on a mm-hmm. a competitive list because uh, it's just three figures and they have good attacks. But you know they yeah. just don't have enough really. If they ha- if they had assault, which I, I think they would be a little bit too good if they had assault. But if they did. Then, I think it would definitely be viable, but it would require you know a very careful positioning because it's a lot of massive yeah. figures. Um, it basically becomes a game of traffic jam. Um, uh, but yeah, so just jumping back onto the uh, gameplay, what how would you call your objective utilization with this list? Um, because you have so many jets, I'm guessing that you do care a lot about objectives, considering the amount of chummy figures you have.
3: Yeah, although I tend to use my figures to focus on doing damage more than objectives. It kind of depends. So if we're looking at the gangster mission, um, I'm definitely going to go after the gangsters um, and try to take out the, the middle one before my opponent can at the start um, to get that yeah. point lead. Uh, and the sentries are great for that. And if nothing else, I can get like a multi-fire with the first sentry, uh, and then with the second one, I will, depending how much damage is left on that middle gangster, I might just shoot that one with a charge shot mm. or something, just to make sure that one's dead, and then jets can finish off a wounded gangster really easily. Um, yeah. And then the tank's free to do its work attacking figures, and then after that, it's kind of depends where the gangsters pop up. I find that's with that mission all the time. It's like, what I'll attack gangsters if I don't have a better opportunity with some figures, uh, or if I'm worried about them uh, killing something off with their damage at the end of a round or something. Yeah. Uh, But that's... uh, So that's that mission. With the other mission, with the posters on Coruscant, I would definitely say as I'm moving jets into position... If I, if I have the ability to be aggressive, I'm going to go through the center room with the Jets and flip posters um, just, to, just to kind of get that advantage again. Um, if I'm sitting back, I might try to run Jets forward and then back to my terminal again um, to try to, to still do that anyways. But I don't want to leave them exposed if I'm leaving the tank back behind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes sense.
3: Other missions? What are the other ones that we have?
0: Um, so those are the ones for back alleys, but I guess we might as well just jump straight into uh, Endor Defense Station.
3: Yeah, so looking at that map, uh, you've got the one at the fuel cells. I'll typically send a jet or two off to pick up a fuel cell at the start. Um, typically off to the the side towards the shield generator. Because they're really good at flying down over the like that cliff there to the shield generator and not wasting a bunch of time and exposing themselves, cashing in those points. Um, And and then they're nice. They're usually nicely in position to flank the opponents. Come like round two, round three, something like that. Yeah, usually round three because that does take them out of play a little bit. So I don't I don't necessarily focus on it. And my tank, when I play on the defense station, tends to dominate the center room. It's pretty good at doing that. Um, cause oh, you can yeah, get, it, get it down to that uh, line of blocking terrain um, right between the two doors. And that's a great place to sit and focus fire in at your opponent. Um, or if he runs to the shield generator, then you rotate and go to the other line, kind of on the left and shoot around that way, which is obviously my plan for the, the other mission is have the tank dominate that room. Hopefully they'll give me the six points. Uh, probably they won't if they're any good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then yeah, and use jets to kind of put pressure on the shield generator. Um, and I try not to give up those points because it's just a lot. Usually in round one, I'll let them get the shield generator, but position so that I can... Do decent damage to the figures there, so hopefully I can get a get around to the shield generator later if possible. Um, but I prefer to get the barracks points, um, and if I can intimidate my opponent enough, they'll they might get that. So even if they get the shield generator and I get the barracks, I'll get a plus two lead, which is kind of which is nice, and it's just a um, psychological win if nothing else.
2: Yeah, absolutely
0: interesting uh so so i suppose still still on endor defense station just yeah. like you said it is a very very good map for any sort of massive figure just because of those solid red lines there in that middle room it's so easy for you to go up into a spot where you can see that alone they can't see you or yeah. you can or you can see the shield generator and they can't see you so playing against massive figures on that map just, you know, the idea <laughs> gives me nightmares. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, unless I'm playing a melee list, in which case, obviously, you know, I'm going to move up there anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, you know, yeah. that's going to be a really big problem for, you know, hunters or something like that. So that's really cool. Uh, so what is your aim for round one on that map then? Because it is very different to chorus and Back Alley's because it is all easier for you to get into position, assuming your opponent plays well.
3: Yeah, so... Honestly, I will, 90% of the time, open my door, move my tank as close as I can with officers, and move the tank all the way down, right to the middle of that room. I may, If it's the fuel cell mission, I may not move into the room, but I'm definitely going to signal that I'm going to do that, because I want to. I want my opponent not to take control of that room. So if they decide to run all the way around somewhere else, I may not end up going into that room. Uh, or if they don't open their door, I may take a different tactic, I'm not sure. But I can get the tank end of round one to the door above my opponent's deployment zone. Or below, I suppose, depending which way I'm going. But I prefer the top because of the terrain that's there. Yeah, You can get in really close. And I, it's a matter of, am I going to sit right at their door? Or am I going to sit behind the, the blocking terrain line? And that's kind of where the, the initiative question is coming again. Yeah, I mean, that actually does make sense
0: because the idea of a tank just suddenly moving right up because if I leave my door shut against the tank and then the tank just moves up all the way so it's standing right by my door, that's a very scary proposition.
3: <laughs> yeah, and then you have to decide, so now that the tank's sitting there, am I going to let it open the door and shoot me and then move away? right? Because it can do that. Or am I going to open it, but then am I going to get enough attacks off, right? Um, I'm either going to open it and not attack the tank, or I'm going to open it and attack the tank and leave a figure really exposed.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is your list of secretions in a rock and a hard
2: place.
3: Yeah. And ideally I'll have a... I might leave the tank sitting behind that blocking terrain and then have a jet open the door and then jump duck the jet out of the way near a fuel cell to pick it up at some point or something, and then you have to decide, am I going to expose myself to get an attack on the tank or am I, or am I just going to be sitting here waiting for the tank to come in and smash something before it can attack it?
2: Hmm.
3: Um, and both are, both are good options for me, so I'm not too worried about it, although I prefer if they come to me with a figure and then I can pull the tank back if any, any game where I can keep the tank alive is a big win for me. Um, but I, I don't assume going into the game that it will stay alive. I assume it's going to die probably sometime in Round 2. Yeah. So,
0: so which of those two missions do you think benefits you more? Um, I would probably think the points, uh, the Control the room mission. but uh, or, or do you find that the Fuel Cell mission is actually better?
3: They're both pretty good. Um, picking up fuel cells tends to happen a decent amount. Um, if they decide to play the game of, uh, well, I'm not going to engage the tank while he's in the center room, then I'll just have the tank pick up fuel cells. It can get like two in a round and then be sitting there with a ton of defense, gaining four points around. Um, and still have those attacks for the end game then
2: mm.
3: kind of a thing yeah. so I yeah just put on pressure make somebody come to me The, the I like the fuel cells one but I like the I, I feel like that center room just does that like just taking that room unless my opponent has a really good way of putting pressure on me to come to them otherwise that's sort of my, my goal is say can you come to me if not I'm going to come charging in anyway, so you might as well figure out a plan to deal with it.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Alrighty, well we'll just jump straight into the final
3: map then, in rotation. So this is, in some ways this map really reminds me of Endor, with the double doors in the middle. This is where I really figured out my strategy for around uh, if the opponent is going to come to me or I'm going to come to them. The that kind of thinking. So I got this map assigned to me with uh, when I was playing against Ryan Janway in top of uh, round in the top four cut, and I was like, I don't normally I take the bottom of this map, um, open my door, and just dare you to come after my tank. My tank is sitting. Uh, the door is open, and then my tank gets moved up four spaces, so it's sitting where the door is or was. Um, and then it's like, if you open your door, I am going to move up and just blast you because I'll be right in your face. Um, there's almost nowhere to hide unless you're going to like stay in your deployment zone, um, which I mm. suppose is an option. Um, but then I was like, if I so if I do that as a strategy against uh, Ryan's Jedi list, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose because uh, I'll get my shots off and then he'll have the other three Jedi, four if I you know leave Ezra or somebody alive by one or somebody dodges with knowledge and defense or something like that, right? Uh, so then I decided, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna take the top um, and. Usually, when I look at that, I look at this map with the list. I think I really don't like. If you're looking at the orientation from Vassal, the top, I guess, is the blue deployment zone, and it's got that uh, impassable terrain just beside the deployment zone. And usually, it's like really annoying. Um, it's hard to get around, hinders your movement a lot. What I found is with jets and a tank, I love that. So it's no longer, it's no longer a thing that stops me but it might stop you Um, it protects me as I'm moving the tank forward with officers and uh, that little square of blocking terrain that's beside the security station as well is really good at uh, providing a spot for jets to fly over so it kind of can clump in that area um, in that hallway just above the security station with all my figures and that worked really well and so with with Ryan I actually tried to hang back in there I didn't get normally I would do a lot of a like trying to get in inside of his terminal or something like that with my tank um, but instead I stayed back and I knew he wanted to come to me so I I did I stayed out of range of all, almost all of his uh, Jedi. I I don't know if you can stay out of range of Ahsoka if somebody has Gideon. So, but like it was, yeah, it was. So I kind of stayed stayed back. And then after I got my attacks off, I was able to retreat my tank back into my deployment zone above that um, locking terrain so that it was quite difficult to get anybody up there to get it. So that was, Hmm. I still ended up losing because he did a really good job in that. He's really got his positioning with Yoda down. And, and the, the work that you can do with that is pretty cool. Yeah, so that that was like a super cagey, super fun game. And uh, I would say it's probably the best game I've played with the tank, even though I didn't win. Because I felt like... Yeah. Normally, when I first started playing the tank, my thought was, I'm really clumsy at moving this massive thing. I would spend probably the entire game... During my opponent's activations, trying to count spaces and mentally rotate the tank in my head to figure out where it could end up. Yeah. Um so that that was probably the biggest thing is getting used to massive figure movement and how it worked so that it wasn't a, a mental chore mm. that like kind of drained you. That was the the sort of that was the biggest learning curve on this list. And so that that time I actually felt like the tank was almost elegant in, like, the movements that it made and stuff. Um, and that That's hard to pull off. So um, I, I felt pretty good about that game.
0: Yeah, 100%. And for anyone who is interested in watching that game, um, David, Jess, and I actually did uh, offer commentary on the game while it was being a live-streamed uh, TV Boy or Noah's YouTube channel. So if you go to I Command on YouTube and search for Top 4 Vassal, uh, Derek versus Ryan Genway or Tank versus Jedi, something along those lines. You should be able to find it. It it was a an, it was an amazing game to watch because just like Derek said, it 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 offered you such insight on not only how Yoda works but also how the tank works as well. Because you positioned the tank really really well that game, and you know um the more you practice with one of those kinds of difficult figures to play,
3: the better you're going to be. Yeah, and that that was the kind of game where I really switched my thinking on the tank being just an aggressive figure to learning about the um, the idea of playing it more defensively and hanging back for a while. Um, I think that uh, yeah. yeah that that's that's a uh, definitely part of the, the skill set is learning that.
0: hundred percent. Right, um so just to finish off uh, this the ISB headquarters mm-hmm. map. Um what is your objective utilization on the two missions? So, obviously, we've got the very, very weird one, reconnaissance, which is probably a little bit awkward for a six activation list because you're six activations, aren't you?
3: Um, yeah. Um, I. Uh, reconnaissance, actually, I don't mind with this list, although I like reconnaissance anyways. I just like that mission. um I think it's really cool. Fair enough. Um, I find that my play style. Um, is really well suited to that mission because I tend to throw a figure at your list at the end of the round and what that and what that tends to do is then your you have one figure that's in line of sight of your opponent. One or two and they have a whole mass of figures clumped around that you've kind of come really close to. And you're able to toss a, a cam in there and get like, ideally, what I would do is see like five figures to your one, um, and that's yeah. and that's a big uh, that's a big play at the start of the game. And if you pair that up with the tank taking out a figure, because um, I mean the tank can deploy the cam just as well as anyone else can, um, you can get uh, you can get a pretty big momentum swing that way. I find the other mission I tend to I- ignore the points a little bit. I guess it depends on what my, which side I take. If I take the bottom um, because I'll open the door um, actually maybe not so much, well I'm not sure. It depends, yeah. On the bottom I'm almost always going to go through the door on the from the red deployment zone. Um, and so if I'm opening that door already, I'll probably send a jet or two to the security stations on the side hallway because um, why not? And it's a great place for jets to attack the terminal yeah. from. Um, open that open that door the other door for the tank and stuff like that. so i'll I'll throw them there cause it's convenient more than anything. Um, if I'm playing from the top blue deployment zone, I'll tend to just go for the the single security station, because you can get something to it really easily. Uh, often the tank will be sitting right there end of round one, um, and if it's not, then depending on if I'm throwing it right into the middle of your list or if I'm hanging back, but if it's hanging back, uh, then it's sitting on or just behind that spot kind of thing. Um, than i've got a jet sitting there just ready to come fly down into your into your list so it's a pretty good staging point um so i mean like it i feel like they're stationed well in terms of uh like you might just go there anyways so i I tend to not think about it too much and just don't i don't want to let my opponent gain a a six point lead anywhere that's that's my my objective is to if they get get a three-point swing because they get two stations and i get one or they get one station and i get none i'm okay i'm usually okay with that in the start of the game and then as the game goes on then it's uh you know in the closing game objectives become valuable and you would definitely want to think about them but i don't i don't usually worry about them a huge amount if my opponents got something down that hallway um because i I can always take the tank straight down the hallway and blast into somebody standing by a security station or something.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, that definitely makes sense. Awesome. Well, I think if, uh, that was a really, really good discussion about the different missions and maps and the way you play, and that does and it does make perfect sense because the tank is, uh, you know, it's relatively tanky to reuse your yeah. pun, but um, it, it is also. things considered a relatively squishy unit you know it's impossible to block line of sight unless you're using terrain and it's only got 12 health so it can it can definitely go down two good jedi attacks three good hunter attacks um so i suppose just to just go dive into a little bit of a deeper level which is less about a specific mission or map and more, more a little bit more general but also more precise uh in regards to how to play it so what are you looking for? As in, what does your list do when everything goes right? If everything were to go perfectly for you, what would the
3: game look like? Yeah. Um, Some of this I will have said already, probably. But Hmm. ideally, I think it would be I keep you pinned somewhere with the intimidation of the tank. So I use my officers to kind of move it into position and have you constantly thinking, where can that tank get to with eight movement points and attack me, I'll move the tank in, do damage, and while that's happening, I'm moving all of my troopers into position for a round two, uh, like for really good round two attacks, Um, and preferably, or whenever, like to set up the jet um, fuel upgrade overrun grenadier combination kind of thing as well. So if I'm pinning you in one spot, and you're clumped up together, and I can get that off, um, then I can use Blast with the tank, I can uh, use Overrun with the tank or with the jets. Um, I'll usually have figures side by side to do multi-fire with the sentries. Um, That's kind of the trying to spread damage throughout your list as much as possible. Um, so that then you can be picked off in the late game by my troopers. The uh, I think probably one of the the key pieces is target selection for my tank shots. For example, targeting Han beside three PO when he still has return fire is a horrible idea. Uh, I mean that's a horrible idea <laughs> in any, with anybody, yes. right? But especially like Drix. I'll, I'll take that shot with you know, like Greedo or something. Um, that's fine. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I'll get my parting shot anyways, or um, you'll only get four points. But if I'm going to give you those nine points, I don't want you to do it on my activation, uh, where you can shoot back. And, or like, I yeah. don't do damage, or you dodge. I'd say probably the dodge is the biggest uh, threat for the tank. Because if one, of, one or more of my attacks doesn't do anything with the tank... Then it's useless, or not useless, but it feels like it's it doesn't get its worth, right? I ideally I want to have the tank take out two middle attackers or a queen piece uh, before it dies. Um, so like, Makes sense. Uh, if I and so if you know if we use uh, Ryan's. Uh, a list as an example, I'm going to probably pick Kanan as the figure that I want to attack if I can. Uh, because it's a black guy. Um, and yeah. because mm-hmm. he doesn't have other defensive bonuses. Um, he's got the re-roll, but typically if someone's playing him well, so do the other figures. Um, so yeah. I would... So, I mean, like taking that out can be pretty good, and I don't have to worry about the dodge. Um, If I have Element of Surprise, I can use that a little bit to maybe go after some other figures. Um, I might be more risky in my uh, taking on a White Die figure then. If I'm attacking a Black Die figure, I would love to attack a Black Die figure who's um, not beside 3PO or is clumped up beside other figures so I can get glass off more easily um, that's kind of a secondary objective with the tank but if that's kind of the high level thinking with it is like how can I get how can I pick my target so that it's uh, um, it's gonna do the most damage so if I I was trying to do uh, in my game today um, I chose to go after Ahsoka. He had like all white dice. So I didn't have much choice. Um, but uh, my my hope was I I had done two damage earlier to three PO with overrun. So I was hoping, oh, if I blast one with my first shot and then blast one with my second shot, I'll take out three PO at the same time. Um, that's the kind of way I'm thinking about it. Of course, putting shooting at someone with three PO beside a white die figure you're very unlikely to get that surge off. Especially a second surge to... Because then you're stuck with between choosing am I going to do plus two to the figure or am I going to blast? Um, and I would, I would probably choose plus two to Ahsoka over one damage to 3PO every time.
4: <laughs> unless yeah. I'm
3: already killing Ahsoka. So, yeah, I find that's kind of... And that's, that's one of the things where I think targeting computers really good if you're if you're going after a white die figure, you'll you'll hit a lot of evades and you'll have useless sur- surges, and then you can try to reroll for the extra damage. That's uh, that's helpful.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially considering the swinginess of the yellow die, you could have anything from a singular yeah. surge or singular damage to two surges of central exactly. damage.
2: Um,
3: yeah, so there's usually something to to reroll or to get your. The other piece is the range, I feel much more comfortable taking like a range 5 shot with the tank with targeting computer Um because minimum range is 4, um, and you really only have the one, like the blue die gives you accuracy, personally I don't count on a yellow die giving me accuracy, my assumption is it's going to give me zero every time. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, unless you do have your reroll, then I think you can pretty
3: safely assume that you're going to get three. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Dice. That, that Yeah, that that makes a big difference. So, hmm. or if you could or if you have them focused, that's really helpful. Yeah, <laughs> we we are definitely going to get back to that yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, so that's the uh, that's kind of my 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 goal is to initially it's get the tank to get its points worth. The problem is, because um, I know your next question is what do you do when everything goes wrong, is when you run the tank yeah. in, you do almost no damage, and then your opponent takes you out before you're able to do anything else. <laughs> you don't necessarily lose the game.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I think
3: our game was a great example of that, actually. Um, I came in, I did okay damage with my first attack into something in your list,
0: no, yeah. Because I think you were attacking the Royal Guard, and with my Static Evade and my plus one block token and a Black Die, there's not much damage you can do even if
3: you max roll. Exactly, right? So like, yeah, like I did like four damage or something to it, hmm. which, is, which is fine as an attack, right? But then I was going to want to do another two attacks to do another eight yeah. damage to it, or something like that, right? But uh, yeah, take initiative will then you have to really pay attention to that. Uh, make sure you're not throwing yourself into that position where you're like risking your tank for nothing so that that's kind of where the cautious and defensive style play comes in if I'm wanting to try to balance between everything going perfectly and everything going completely against me is don't just charge in the tank every turn round one um, mm. that's that's my instinct is to do that um, and I'd say the the skill that even in my first, like the regional that I won in my first year playing, um, the the reason that I won is because I learned the lesson of hey, if you throw your hunters out into the middle of the map and take a big shot and kill something, yeah, they'll die too. So it's finding yeah. finding the right time to do that. That's kind of like what that's what IG does, and he's kind of my go to figure if I'm gonna what what I used to go to for competitive play was IG. Um, and so I, I use a lot of that same strategy.
0: Yeah, and I think that that is very wise. And I do, and I honestly do consider the biggest thing which differentiates the top tier players from the more middle of the road players is the just innate ability to always know that, you know, <laughs> as my quote goes, "When in doubt, stay conservative." The amount of games that quote has won me, because I, you know I've had I've had some luck my first couple of games, and then I'm yep. I, I'm now yep. onto the final round of Swiss. And if I, if I win this one, I'm going to get into the cut. If I lose, I might not get into, cut, into the cut. And because my dice have been rolling pretty well so far, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. I always have to stop, remind myself, if I'm not sure what I'm going to do, stay conservative, stay back, be careful. And it, it, it wins your games. And I think that that is the biggest thing. Once you learn that, it, it
3: takes your gameplay
0: to a whole nother level.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. I, I learned that lesson from DT. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because he he just mercilessly picked me apart in one of my vassal games against him where he just I like threw out a figure and took a shot and then he killed it. And then I threw out a figure and he took a sh- and then killed it. And then uh the only points I got that game were the two points he paid me when Hondo shot. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was <laughs> destroyed. Uh, that was not very happy. Not very happy that day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we've all had those kinds of games we've gone up against DT, yeah. and we just realized, wow, yeah, I, I might as well be, <laughs> I might as well be playing chess blindfolded against a, <laughs> you know, what world world series master, which is literally what DT is. He's our three time nat- uh, world champion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very well deserved. He is a ridiculously amazing player. It's a shame he's not with the cinema. In the game, of course, nothing's happened to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, not something I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
2: um,
0: all right. Um, so I suppose just the final question in that in that sphere is how do you balance your play between um, because obviously you can't always assume that everything is going to go your way, and if you always assume that. The worst case scenario is going to happen to you every single time. You you just stay in your deployments and do nothing. Okay, and neither of those t- strategies are going to work. So how would you balance uh, the two different things you just said into one one coherent playstyle with the tank, which is the most likely to win? So you're still trying to make sure that as many things as possible go right while you're minimizing the amount of things that can go wrong.
3: Probably what I what what I would do would be it would based on target selection of who I'm going to attack with the tank so if I can mitigate it by getting the perfect target great Um, so a lot of the times it's like let's go with even if like if I can attack a black die figure that's going to be better for me even if I don't kill that figure but I put a ton of damage into him so I can get him with something easily later then that's a win but sometimes that's not an option right Uh, so then it's like, don't, don't let the, the perfect rule you out of taking the good shot. Mm. So if you have a shot lined up, it would be like, if I can move three, attack this white die figure and then move one into cover, which is hard to do with the tank, that doesn't always happen. Um, but if that's an option, then I would go for, I might go for that shot over The shot with uh, with the perfect target. Um, At the same time, I have to recognize that uh, I have I have to weigh. I'm I'm basically weighing the cost of exposing the tank to taking the the shot against the target that makes the most sense for the for the dice pools. Um, So that really depends on when figures have activated, which ones still have to go, uh, where we are, and like who's going to get initiative things like that and i'd say the probably one, one of the things that i have to i find making a tough decision on is when i'm when i'm doing my end of round start of round swing i'll move an eight take a shot at somebody and then i'm always and then if i get start around or sometimes they'll get the start of round but they'll do one attack to the tank i often count on that happening um like, because I have six activations, I almost never have last activation, so I know that they're going to get one attack into the tank yeah. um, in there, and I just count on them getting a solid attack into the tank, but it's not going to die, and then I'm going to get to go again. So, but at, when I'm sitting at that point, I have a decision of, am I going to focus fire into a figure, or am I going to shoot once, and then move eight, and pull the tank back to a much safer position? And that depends on you know the map and the setup. Like Sometimes there's nowhere to pull back to, and so you might as well just stay there in their face and and blast them, and the, then the tank is basically cover uh, for yeah. your other figures until it dies. But if there is a good option to retreat to, that might be the better choice. Um, especially if you don't have a really good target. Like It would suck to take a second attack and have it be dodged and have given up all of your positioning advantage that you would have by pulling the tank back. So, like that, that might be the case. Is I'll, I'll try to calculate what's the worst case scenario on this attack, um, and does that balance out putting the tank in a in a position? Because that's at the start of your activation, you have to choose basically if you're going to shoot the same figure twice with focus fire uh, and move four or you're going to decide if you're going to shoot once and move eight, or you're going to decide if you're going to not move at all, but use uh, retrofitting to do assault and shoot two different targets. Those are those are the multifaceted decisions that comes down to the tank, and usually that's happening round two or round three if it's been a slower game, like a slower tempo game, um, where you're kind of like, the first thing you're doing is you're using your tank and getting as much worth out of it and then either escaping or or just like pounding into them and staying right there so that you're in their face. I really love those. Um, and then I guess you have the same point of uh, when do you go with retrofitting, when do you deplete it to, uh, to take a focused attack? Yeah. Um, because the easy one is, okay, so I'm going to take two focused fire shots and just stay here and you're going to attack me and I'm going to die, right? If I if that's the calculation I've made, then my second attack is just going to be focused, period. Because why? Like, like yeah. if I'm going to die, I'm not going to use that focus later anyways, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And you won't have the opportunity to move and there's no real point in you getting the assault ability because you're performing two attacks anyway.
3: Yeah. The hard part is if you're going to retreat with the tank so you can exhaust the card, gain the four movement points and then you can deplete the card, take a focused attack and move eight. yeah, that's good, right That's a good move if you think when you your tank is gonna die that round anyways because they're gonna follow you in and kill it and expose their figures in doing so. Um, yeah but if they don't do that, now you have a tank that doesn't have retrofitting anymore and you've pulled it back out of the action. Yeah. So that's that's one of the, the tougher decisions, and I'm not, Yeah, depends on your opponent and everything.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. And that does make things a little bit tricky. Um, so before we jump into just the final section, which is all about your advice for newer players who want to give the gorgeous tank uh, a try. Um, so on the previous Built on Hope episode, we spoiled the general Soren figure. For anyone who hasn't listened to that, to that episode yet, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen, and you can hear our brief discussion about the card as well. But uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of it, the change that was made is that Sorin has kept all of his abilities and stats and everything, but his cost has been reduced from 8 to 5. I mean, <laughs> Sorin was designed together with the tank um, back when FFG made him. So he is supposed to be doing those sorts of buffs. So do you think that the tank is going to go up in uh, viability? Because I think still think that the tank is very viable, and your performance at the tournament proved as much. But do you think that the addition of Sorin's is going to make the tank even more of a meta staple piece? Uh, and basically, just what do you think Soren's impact on the tank is going to be?
3: Yeah, um, I'm not sure if how much of a staple... Massive figures will be in the meta period. People tend to avoid them because of the ungainly movements part of it. I know I've avoided figures for that exact reason in the past. Um, Not because I didn't think they had, like they didn't have a good stat line or anything like that, but because I I just found it exhausting playing that at a turn. Tarot is a really good example of that. Um, Tarot wasn't a, a large figure. I would bring him in so many Imperialists. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, General Soren. When you bring him down to five, I've uh, I've played a list when we were play testing that as uh, committee members uh, with him. I don't remember if that was against you or not. I um, uh, don't think I have played against him yet, so probably not. Okay. So what I found was it worked really well. <laughs> um, basically, when you focus fire with him, if there's not extra evades around, anyways. Um, Instead of blasting, what you're doing is focusing your tank with uh, Soren's Surge. And then your next time, because you're focused, you're pretty likely to be able to focus him again. So you just kind of keep this cycle of your tank is focused for every shot, which is pretty awesome.
0: (laughs) That is very
2: awesome.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're you're bringing a, a figure that's worth five points, to do that, but it, it definitely feels worth it, especially if you have other figures that can use it. Sentry droids, for example, love that extra plus one because they often have an extra surge or two kicking around. Um, yeah. Same with jets actually, although the jets usually aren't in range of General Sorin when they're shooting. And the other thing that can be pretty fun is uh, getting off a stun with the tank. Yes. Um, yeah. If your goal is to retreat with the tank, stunning a melee figure or a figure that's going to have to move out can be a big difference. Well, at least till they play Price of Glory or Heart of Freedom or something. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. And really ruin your plans. But um, <laughs> that's fine. That's what that card's for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, or if they have Yoda in your list and you totally forget about Yoda's ability to uh, <laughs> negative conditions, that's what actually, that's what happens when I use stun uh, in that play test game. Oh. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to stun uh, Ezra or something and, and, and focus the tank and do plus two damage. This is awesome. I got so many surges here. And then it was like, Okay, now I'm going to go with Ezra, and Yoda's going to clear that stun, and I'm going to move in, and uh, oh yeah, now your tank's dead. (laughs) Yep, and
0: he probably played a pummel as well, so he recovered four damage from that as well. (laughs)
3: Exactly right,
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh god. Well, as we all know, Ezra sucks and is the worst. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, um, I'm honestly really excited for Sorin empire is going to get a lot of new toys in the next uh, season which i mean uh, you know i used to be a predominantly rebel rebel player you know i ran Han rangers non-stop and i still run it in regards to standard meta whenever i play that but uh, in icp i've really been enjoying the empire and i can't wait to play more imperialists once uh, when season four gets released because there's a lot of stuff in there yeah it's uh it's gonna be good i th- I think a are going to like it a lot. All right, so the final section of the episode, that we're just going to touch on briefly before we head on out, is the advice for newer players. So the list you currently described at the beginning, are there any changes you would make to make it more beginner friendly at all, or do you think it's, or do you think it's pretty easy to pilot for a beginner?
3: Honestly, I would probably run the list I talked about. I've I've spent a lot of time. Looking for better combinations of uh, of figures um, mm. to go to pair up with the tank. If your goal is to pair with the tank, and I would say that anything else that you're doing has worse um, synergy command card wise, and maybe requires some extra skill. So, like you could put a list with the tank in Palpatine, but I wouldn't call that a more beginner friendly list or something sure, like yeah. that, right? So. I would say this is probably because the rest of the list feels pretty generic. It's move, shoot, move back into cover if you can. I would say, and the, the most forgiving part of that would be to take targeting computer, um, rather than looking at a different option. I think that will make the tank, um, just a little bit more friendly to, um, when you're making mistakes, judging range or judging, um, who you're Attacking and stuff like that, it'll let you kind of fix some of those things by with the reroll. So, I think that's uh, that's probably what I would run. Um, and honestly, I don't know. There's command card wise, it's pretty much the stuff, um, that I was talking about. There's there's always room to tinker around with cards, so I mean, definitely go for it. Yeah. Um, but uh, one card that I find fun. Is combat resupply?
2: Mm. Oh it's, uh, I, I don't see it used much.
3: So it's it's for any imperial figure, and then use during your activation. Distribute damage tokens equal to the current round number to friendly figures within three spaces. Um, doesn't cost an action. Um, it's really great round two for the tank to play and then have two damage tokens for a focus fire. It's even better to have round four to have. Uh, all your sentries have plus one damage for their multi-fire, where they're minus one damage. Like so, um, it's yeah, it's definitely got uh, some uses, um, and everyone in your list can play it. So there, there are other cards, but that one, uh, but that one I like. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I would bring, especially for a, for a beginner, I would definitely bring Price of Glory in the list as a command card. Mm. The tank being stunned is a big pain um, and hard to play around, so that's helpful in that regard. And the extra two movement points really helps um, in closing the gap. Sometimes, depending on the map you're looking at, sometimes uh, yeah, there's a lot of positioning stuff with the tank, and so having some movement options to kind of to do that is helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely makes sense.
3: If somebody wanted some kind of list that was something simpler, because they didn't want to just jump right into doing the tank, they wanted to they wanted to run this list at some point, but they wanted to kind of like if they haven't played a bunch of Empire or something like that, I would suggest just picking some kind of trooper list, learning to use jet troopers, because um, they're kind of the core of this list anyways. Yeah build build a list that you're more comfortable with, don't run a massive figure, but run two officers, two jet troopers, and insert anything. Uh, drawn, maybe Vader, maybe some other troopers, um, some more standard um, imperial list, and just learn what the jets do with Overrun, with Grenadier, with their fly-by ability, um, with mobile Right. Um, if you're not used to playing mobile, that definitely changes how you look at maps. you're yeah. not used to vehicles, those command cards definitely change um, the calculation of when you might attack or not. There's a whole kind of learning curve on when do I use overrun and when do I attack, things like that. Um, so that's uh, for, for new people, that would, that would be another starting point is get comfortable using the jets and being good with them. 'Cause that's your that's your end game and that's how you win games is really how you play with your jets and that's uh, standard in the meta but if that's new to you that's something to, to kind of take some time to polish up to.
0: Great point. Yeah, I, I think that basically wraps up everything. Thank you very much, Derek, for coming on. It's been it's been great to have you on and talk all about the tankers. It's been a figure which I, I've never really thought about, um, even back in yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, even in campaign, it's always been that just that little bit of, eh, you know, it's it, it's alright. But and like I said, I wasn't, I, I didn't think that the season three change was enough. But um, after your performance, the community didn't seem to agree, and you definitely changed my my opinion on it as well after your performance. And we saw, I can't remember the percentage with which it was passworded in the Season 3 voting, but it was definitely approved with, it was one of the highest voted cards, I believe, right. in Season 3, which is just yeah. amazing to see. So it's been really great to have you on and really pick your brain about what is this, what is it that makes the tank so viable? Because, again, in, in the only game I've played against you with the tank, when we... Um, when we did it in the tournament, I just killed the tank immediately, and it was the rest of your list that beat me. So It's been really, really interesting to just hear the intricacies of running massive figures and using focus fire well.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I guess one thing I didn't talk about much on this, I've talked about it uh, on the stream of the game where I played against Ryan, I, where I talked about defensible and its, its flexibility. Um, um, yes. And pairing that with Zillow, right? I mean, Zillow's good on anything Imperial, um, and definitely makes a huge difference for the tank, keeping it alive. Um, But I find that the ability to pick a block or an evade, just like you can with Onar, actually, makes a big difference, especially when you can exhaust Zillow to get rid of some Pierce. There's there's a whole kind of decision-making process for that as well, which is really... Really, really cool. You can get rid of a lot by just tossing an evade onto it. Um, like black die with an evade is probably one of the strongest defense options out there. Um, De- but if somebody agree. doesn't roll any surges, that evade is pretty useless, right? So in making it a yeah. block instead—that's a—that's a pretty good option.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we were talking about this because compared defensible as an ability, we choose either a block or and evade to the defensive ability on the Grand Inquisitor, which is miles apart, because uh, the Grand Inquisitor's ability is, if you don't roll a block, apply plus one block to the defense results. And I yeah. to think that we would see the Inquisitor way more if he had defensive instead of defensible. Or well, maybe the, un- the other round. Am I pivoting be yeah. them up now? Um, but yeah, just having the one where he gets to choose either block or evade. Because just like you say, it's so much more flexible because you get to see it after the results are used, and you still get to use the ability. Uh, even if you do roll a block. I mean, the way I look at it is that comparing it to the 80 DPS static plus one block, you basically got the 80 DPS defense pool, except that you can convert your... I mean, you, you basically got Agile, yeah. you know? you got a, exactly. You got the 80 yeah. DPS defense characteristic mixed with the Jet trooper's Agile ability to convert a block to an elite, which is such such a cool ability. I really enjoyed. it.
3: Yep, yeah. and that combined with the the increased speed and the... And the ability to use retrofitting is why I would pick the tank over the ATDP. I completely can, I can agree. Although the ATDP is really fun too, um, so if you want to play that, go for it. Uh, I've seen Jake pilot the ATDP with, uh, with a ton of skill, so that can that can do a lot of damage. One hundred
0: percent. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on, Derek. It's been a pleasure to have you, and we'll definitely be sure to have you have you on some other time when you possibly for another of analysis section when you choose a new figure which isn't as wildly played and then just storm a tournament with them <laughs> all right everyone i am back and i'm no longer joined by derek instead i'm joined with the amazing gals we've got jessica and david here with us today
1: hello oh
0: so essentially what we're going to do in this final section of the episode is there are two cards in ICP Season 4, which are not getting their own preview article. Instead, we are going to be your preview article for you. So, the cards we will be discussing are very, very interesting. I think they're going to be very fun to play. They're going to encourage some new ways to play the game, I guess. The things they do are different, but different, I think, in a very, very good way. So, without further ado, Jessica, do you want to name the figure that we are introducing in this episode?
1: So, very excitingly, we have Jin Erso, Stardust. She has the trait of leader and brawler, and she has a built-in pierce one, surges for plus one damage, and a surge for plus one accuracy and plus one damage. And she has trust goes both ways. At the start or end of your activation, choose an adjacent friendly figure. If you do, you and that figure recover one damage, and gain one Surge token. Limit once per activation. And she has Action, Tonfa Strike. Move up to two spaces, then you may perform a melee attack using one red and one green die, then perform your ranged attack. So she normally has a ranged attack, but that allows her to make melee attacks as well. And considering she does have the brawler trait, that is quite interesting. So her normal ranged attack is blue-green. She has 12 health, 4 speed, white die defense, and is 7 points.
0: So what I do find very interesting about Jin, first and foremost, the Tom for strike. It's just amazing in the fact that you're able to move two spaces and form two attacks. Uh, one melee and one ranged. And what's interesting here is that, unlike the campaign version of Close and Personal, this does not force you to perform your ranged attack against the same target. So you could move up to one figure who's almost dead, use your taunt for Strike, and hopefully kill them, and then shoot someone who's five spaces away, which I think is very, very cool.
4: She seems quite strong. Those two attacks are are no joke. And I have noticed that a lot of figures have been getting pierce one. So because she's got two attacks, she gets two free pierce during her activation, and I guess she'll probably have two surge tokens. So she's realistically going to use both of those surges and pierce away you know, most single die defenses, right? That is very scary. It is,
0: it is. And I do think that, I mean, looking at a lot of the new cards, what I have found is that a lot of figures tend to have some sort of ability to at most add two damage, and then they have a pierce one. Whether that's, you know, in a Maul's case where he has one innate damage and then a, then a surge for pierce, or you've got Director Krennic, who's got, just like Jin, he's got two surges for damage. But instead of having the innate pierce, Krennic has a surge for Pierce, but then as kind of as Consolation, he has a surge for plus two damage as well. So has been a change I've realized in this new season.
1: I think she is going to be quite strong. So you have that kind of flexibility of using a ranged attack. And possibly a melee attack, and because of the brawler trait, there's a lot of command cards that are possible that she can use for the Tonfa strike. Now if she doesn't actually get up into melee range though, she's not going to be as effective because with the just two dice attack without a focus, uh, the pierced one is still good, but I mean blue-green just a uh, normal attack is not so strong, but it does have that flexibility. So if you can't quite get up into range to do the Tompa Strike, you can still use your ranged attack normally.
4: I would argue that that's actually quite a strong attack. Blue-green with an extra surge and a pierce one.
1: I forgot about the extra surge! Yeah, that's true, actually.
0: Exactly. I I wouldn't call it bad at all. And in addition, a very interesting thing about Tonfa Strike is that she doesn't have to get into melee range to use the Tonfer Strike ability. Basically, what it gives her is that before she performs a range attack, she gets to move two spaces for free.
1: Oh, snap! So you don't exactly. even have to use the melee attack to get... <gasps> oh dang okay yeah
0: exactly <laughs> which essentially means that even if you use her as a longer range figure which i wouldn't recommend just because she is a brawler you really want to capitalize on her traits but even if you can't really get her into position then you could form a move gain your four move points spend one moving point to move a space form a tom for strike to move two more spaces and then form your shot because you can't perform your melee attack and then use your remaining three moving points to run back in from where you come from. And speed six is insanely powerful.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Even without the extra attack, just the ability to move six and attack mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful. So the other the other figures that have speed six are Boba Fett and the Nexus. And the Nexus they are a two by two deployment figure, which means that they, they kind of need the six speed to do anything because they are just so clunky with their size. And Boba Fett, who is insanely fast, but he spends a lot of movement points to perform his other abilities, such as the whip cord and the flamethrower ability. So, right here, having a figure being able to move six and perform and perform two attacks—that's very, very powerful.
1: Yeah, and for only seven points, I think it's very reasonable. Like, it, it definitely, the efficiency I'm feeling is quite high here. And I like how the leader trait as well goes with her. Trust goes both ways that they, they, it seems thematic that, you know, because she's a leader, she gives these bonuses to adjacent figures. And I think that does allow her to play slightly differently than just, let's say a hunter who kind of, you might leave out on their own or tuck them away somewhere, you know, safe and just pop out. She wants to kind of be in there with melee and be up there with some other figures, possibly some other brawlers for synergy, so that could be pretty cool.
0: Exactly. So obviously if recover one damage and gain surge power token. It's I think it's easy to say that's not the most obvious thing you would give a figure. Recovering one damage and getting a surge power token aren't really abilities which are very widely seen. So are there any specific figures that you guys think this ability would work very, very well with? Are there any figures we know who easily suffer a little bit of damage and would need more
4: surges? I think Avinto would love extra surges oh yes i mean the thing though is that recover one and and gain one surge goes on both figures right so she's actually effectively generating four things every round correct which is a lot i mean no matter what things they are it's gonna be good right mm-hmm. you compare that to the to the poor Claudite who has to roll a bunch of dice and then generates you Zero things. That's very strong.
0: Yeah. May the Claudite rest in peace. But yeah, so I honestly really, really like her. She is a very interesting figure, and I think she's going to work her way into a lot of lists, because she isn't this obvious figure. When when you look at her, you kind of get unfixed Farina vibes, where you just kind of think, yeah, well, nothing here looks too special. It's just another 7.12 health melee figure. But when you really dive deeper, and you try and read behind the lines and just see... Okay, so her going up in a Jedi list would actually work insanely well because mm. Jedi love extras. I mean, Diallo would love an extra Surge, especially with um, the knowledge and defense card. Jedi would love Surge power tokens, and Jedi would love being able to recover even more, especially now when the kind of Jedi box play style around Yoda has become so popular. I mean, in my finals game in the Paul Cup, I had a game against Kyle Bosom who was running, boxing up around Yoda, and it's, it's painful. And then being able to rec- heal those figures as well is... Brutal.
1: My first impressions are that she seems quite strong, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how she gets used and uh, seeing how that plays out. I agree.
4: All right. And the second card is actually our podcast namesake, Built on Hope.
1: Oh, what?
4: (laughs) Indeed, Liddy. By Jin Earth, though. So it says, use during your activation to reveal the top three cards of your command deck, place one of them into your hand and the others on the bottom of your command deck in any order. When this card is discarded from your command deck, redraw it. It's a one-point card. I think it it is really interesting. If I were running Jin, I definitely would be playing it. It it almost feels like a version of planning or something like that. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she is a leader, so she can still play
4: planning. Well, you notice this doesn't actually take an action.
1: Ah, <gasps> you're right. I hadn't noticed that.
4: Yeah, so it's it's definitely really interesting. The one point I think right now hurts a little bit because the command cards are so good. But putting cards on the bottom of your command deck is is actually quite good for Rebel.
0: Exactly. I mean, especially if you can, if you're able to get Jin into a list where all your figures are unique so that you can include the zero point upgrade heroic efforts. Then suddenly you're going to cycle through your deck pretty quickly, especially if you have a fair amount of card draw slash cycling. Maybe you're running her in a Jedi list with Yoda, or maybe you're running her in just a different list, but you have got R2 there with you. So I definitely could see some interesting plays with with this card. It does something very unique in the fact that when this card is discarded from your command deck, redraw it. Which certainly means that any list with Jinn, is just going to be that little bit safer against Strain lists. Because you you just know that you can a little more reliably take those discards. Because if you discard Built on Hope, you're going to redraw it. And that's also going to be an interesting dynamic with Thrawn as well. Because if Thrawn sees that his enemies are Built on Hope, there's not much he can do about it. Because if he tells you to discard the card, you're just going to redraw it. So you might as well just leave it back on top to reduce your card draw slightly. Uh, I think it's a very interesting card. The fact that you have to place two on the bottom of your deck, I mean, it's not amazing for one point, let's be honest. But at the same time, being able to take one of the top three cards of your command deck into your hand without needing to spend an action, that is a lot of power. And I yeah, don't think that should be underestimated. That's also, something that I think is very important to note here is the wording. Use during your activation to reveal the top three cards. Not look at, reveal. That means that you show your, that you give your opponent a lot of information as well.
1: That is a really good point.
4: But you don't have to show your opponent which ones you're putting on the bottom of your deck and which ones you're taking.
0: Correct. Uh, okay, that's a, which is really cool. You throw, you show the three cards to them. Now the mind games are really
4: gonna run around.
0: Um, I do also think that this is interesting in that it makes her a little bit weaker in Hunter lists, which I see no problem with. I think it's completely fine to reduce her value in Hunters because you wouldn't really want to run a card where, if you are unlucky enough to draw Assassinate, Tools, and Heighten for those three cards, you have to put two of those on the bottom. That would be a bit of a shame. But in other non-Hunter, or even if you just have very few Hunter cards, I think this card could do very interesting things. And also, it's got arguably the best name out of all Imperial Assault Command cards.
1: Arguably, yes. I like the design of this because... It has a lot of interesting things that it does. And also, it's that just that bit where you're like, ooh, it's good, but it's not like an instant include. You have a think about do you include it?
0: exactly and that does go to show kind of the different things that we've seen come out of season four we have some things which are going to be an absolute auto include if you run that figure such as the darksaber on maul i don't really think you can run maul without the darksaber when you just compare how good it is again i still don't think it's going to break in we've done so much playtesting and this card has probably seen 10 different iterations over the playtest and we think this one is pretty well balanced, but it is going to be very powerful. Uh, but you wouldn't really run more without the Darksaber. But then contrast that with the Clan of Two attachment. That's completely a choice. You do not have to run Clan of Two in your Guardian lists. But you can, and it changes the way the game works. So I, I, I think I think that's a very good thing, because we can't make everything in ICP. We can't just do full power creep where everything is better than the previous versions that came before it. Um, but we also can't make everything so eh that it doesn't make a splash into the meta.
1: I think there's going to be a lot of interesting combos coming up in Season 4 and also just a lot of cool, fun, thematic lists that can come out as well. So I'm excited about it.
0: Alrighty. Uh, once again, thank you to the ISCP steering committee for letting us preview these cards for them. Uh, to which I say you're welcome and thank you again, and you're welcome and thank you again.
2: <laughs> um,
0: we encourage everyone to go over and look at as many of the season four stuff as possible. Uh, there are so many cards coming out, and on the same day that this episode releases, the Director Krennic deployment card has been released as well. So be sure to go check that out because if you think that Jin looks very, very strong and is going to work well in Rebelists, just wait until you look at krennic and see what he can do in imperialists like i've been hinting at all the all this time we are going to see the meta change and the game change in a big way this season and it's going to be for the better and with that i hope everyone stay safe and we will see you in the next one Bye-bye. Bye-bye. bye
4: bye
2: bye